Hello and welcome to Between Two Cairns. I'm Yochai. Hi, I'm Brad. And I'm Kelsey. Hi. Hi, Kelsey. Hi. Uh, this is uh, Kelsey Dion, uh, who is also do you, Arca- Arcane Library. Is that is it the Arcane Library? I probably should have done some brief. It's, it's either, you know, even the IRS doesn't agree. It's my business it, is see. registered differently. My tax name is registered differently, okay. but I usually just say the arcane library. It's the arcane library.com, so, right? It is. Oh, so it I is. think, I think definitively Kelsey, with all due respect, it is the, okay. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go with that. I was going to originally say Kelsey from the arcane library, which sounds really cool. So if you're okay Ooh. with that, yeah, we'll go. Yeah. We'll go with that. So, That's up. Kelsey Dion, thank you for being here. Wow. Thank you for having me. You two were amazing. Oh, well, I was, we were just talking like you're our first, I think, um, major, major RPG celebrity guest. So we've had some big names here, but I Chris feel like McDowell you're just, seething yeah. right now. But you both are on your own show all the time. So that yeah. can't be true because a, you both oh, are notable. Oh, that's not how that works uh but okay <laughs> if for those who somehow don't know who kelsey is uh she is best known for the rpg shadow dark but also she's had a youtube channel for many years and has a plethora of um modules and supplements for fifth edition and for her own uh recent system have you written anything for any for systems other than 5e and shadow dark a little bit. I've like sneakily written. I have some stuff for Index Card RPG. I contributed to some of the books. Um, just some fun things like that. Those mm-hmm. are great. I I love ICRPG. So so uh, well, welcome again. We're so happy to have you here, especially because we're going to be reviewing Gradient Descent. Ooh. And uh, we're not answering any mailbag questions today. We're going to ask a couple, you know, interview questions from um our little window of the OSR to uh, Kelsey's much bigger pond, I think. And I, Kelsey, you know, I, I have a question uh, I've been okay. wondering about. I was just thinking <laughs> yes. here. Um, how is your morning going today? You're so kind for asking. It's going really well. I had a blueberry scone wow. and some coffee, and that just set me up for success. I think. So. Did you bake it or did you buy it? What's the scone situation in your in your in your world right now? It's very outside my skill set. Okay. So I, I mm-hmm. have to buy them, but thankfully there are good bakeries around. But mm-hmm. I don't know. What how how have both of your mornings been? Um good. I'd say pretty good. Pretty good yeah. over here. Um cat yeah. threw up a little bit ago. I had to clean that up. Um nice. but it was on something hard, not carpet. So that's I'll take do, it. That's do a win. you have that instinct where you run and pick up the cat and throw them onto a hard yes, thing? So that absolutely, yeah. yes, I can hear that. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like where, where, where? I'm like checking all the closets. I'm like, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> but, and in yeah. their moment of greatest suffering, you're like, I have to yeah. yank you yes. through space oh, somewhere. To like, it's, I I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. So okay, my morning has mostly sucked. My wife is allergic to bees, and on her hike this morning, got stung by. Um, <gasps> to be well, at least, I don't know how many bees it was, but she got stung in two places. So I got this phone call. I had just dropped my kid off from school and I got this call saying bees and I pre- grabbed her EpiPen and ran down to pick her up in the, in the woods, um, behind my house. It, 
she's okay. She's been getting um, viral injections for the past like four months to help her immunity. Last time she had to go to the hospital. This time she didn't, so she's fine. So actually, wow. my morning has been great. Hers has not been so good, but I am excited. Bring in the drama. Wow. Like I live in this co-housing community, and my job is to kill the wasps. <laughs> I, I, sorry, did I say bees earlier? I meant wasps. I only kill wasps. I do not ever kill bees. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> when there is a yellow jacket nest on any of the trails near our community, I kill them. And um, you, you bring a real gravity to that task, you know, like ooh. it's I, I'm vegetarian. It's not fun for me to kill them. I like insects. Okay. And yeah. um, but I can't have them killing my wife. So, uh, th- by the way, <laughs> humorous <laughs> aside. So the, the the dog and the cat both go with us on hikes. Like the cat just like loves going through wow. the forest. Yeah, he's awesome. Both of them got stung too. <laughs> also, how did would, uh, did they times. step on like a nest? She or doesn't something? know. Yeah. She doesn't know. She never knows. This is the every time I'm like here. I investigate. Now I have to go. What I do is I cover myself in um, protective wear, and I take a a big bucket of boiling water and I take a smaller gallon of Castile soap and boiling water. And I drug the bees before I boil them alive uh, inside of their nest. This is what I do. <laughs> this is, this is like a, this is the fourth time this year I'll have to do this. And I don't look forward to it, but this is what I'm doing after this phone call or after this uh, review is wow. I'm going to go wow. kill those bees. Oh wasps, I- wasps, excuse me. I hope it goes. Gosh, your poor wife, though. I mean, when you're faced with the choice, like, are we yeah. going to deal with these wasps? Or are we going to? It must be done. Yeah. I don't like doing it. It's also really sweaty under the gear. You know, it's like mm. really, really yeah. sweaty. And then when I get back, I have to strip outside because I can't bring any of the wasps in with me. That happened once and it was very bad. So Ooh. I have to like strip outside of all yep. of these things in my to my underwear. And anyhow. Yeah. Oil, they, oil up, right? We know. No, there's no <laughs> oil. But Thanks for letting me He's tell that story. He's going to come story. out and power hose you. That's just, <laughs> just blast no, you. No, she won't even. Water. She won't even come near me. That's the thing. I have to do it all by myself. Um, oh, my oh, my my six year old will talk to me on the walkie talkie the whole time. Like he likes to do rec- recon oh. for it. So that's kind of yeah. a nice thing. He's like the 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 character by the computer in like twenty in the in the van. He's in the van. Yeah. I, you know, I always wanted to be one of those guys. I feel yeah, like I that would be really you're safe. Have I told you this before? No, it's, you just uh, you just seem the type. Yeah, okay. I don't know what that <laughs> means. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, enough about me. Thank you for asking, Brad, how my day went, how my morning is gone. Kelsey asked that. I would never ask you that, but let's move oh, on. Oh, that, that's right. It was you, Kelsey. I'm just so used uh-huh. to blaming Brad. Uh, yeah. Brad all, started it. Not all my he fault. Started it. Yeah, okay. I'm going to ask a couple questions, and sure. um, let's just start with an easy one. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest design problem in the modern module space? <laughs> Ooh. I'm sorry. That oh, wasn't that's a, such a, that wasn't easy. But yeah, what is in your opinion, what's the biggest design you problem? You just threw a thesis level <laughs> paper at me. No, I the biggest problem. Well, I mean, it's definitely based on the system, first of all. I think the the goals of the module have to be based on the system um, that it's trying to support, but I think at least in our world, because all of us are kind of writing sort of fantasy style, dungeon-y type stuff. I mean, I, I'd be so interested to hear what you all think about this. But in my opinion, the way that I write stuff right now, the biggest challenge I face is trying to make, is trying to incentivize exploration and balancing that against the cost of exploration and making that um, engaging and kind of encouraging players to to keep pushing their luck, which is 
kind of the core, I think, of a lot of old style revival games. And so you, I always find the balance of like, how can I get the players to continue pushing their luck and incentivize that without going too far, without making it too punitive. Sure. It's always kind of this like weird yeah. little juggling act. Yeah. Like a lethality so. balance or something like how, right. how, yeah. you know, you want them to go out there and to, to, to tweak that little tool or whatever to, you want them to, to, to oh, turn over that rock, but you don't want them to die every single time they turn over the rock. Otherwise they'll stop turning over rocks. Right. right. And you don't want them to just look in a room and see something interesting and be like, oh, I don't want to risk it and right. just spend the whole adventure just dodging anything that could be interesting to engage with. It's like, right. it's really got to work to pull to pull them in, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like dungeons are inherently like places that suck and are bad. It's like, how yeah. can you get players to want to go to some place that sucks? <laughs> That's right. the name of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually, mm-hmm. the I think, the biggest criticism that Brad and I have bounced back and forth on reviewing a lot of old school modules is why would you go to this place? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Why, yeah. Sometimes it's just because that's the game. The game is to go to that place, but other times it's, mm-hmm. it's more than that. And I, I agree. I think um, focusing on exploration is really, it's hugely important, but it can't be free and it can't be too punitive so that the, you know, the player characters don't want to continue. Um, well, so do you feel like as a designer, there are certain decisions you've made either in your systems writing or in your adventure writing that have characterized this balance. Like, like for example, this is the really common one um, that everybody knows about shadow dark is that a torch lasts an hour of real time, correct? Real time, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. real like human meat space. Do you feel like that is the, is a characterization of that uh, concept or is there something else that you've come up with that you feel does a better job of representing that careful balance for you? Yeah, I, I absolutely, the, the torch timer in Shadow Dark in particular plays probably the most strongly out of anything into impacting this problem because the torch timer is, is there to kind of rush the players and make them feel like they have to really wisely use their time. So it's creating a resource on top of their other resources that they're trying to spend. And so I had to kind of put some countervailing forces in there and um, motivate the players to continue wanting to use their torch. Cause it's so, you know, the, the, the instinct is, oh, it's dangerous. I don't have a lot of time. I should avoid doing that. But, you know, XP for treasure is kind of a classic way to, to, to encourage players to continue pushing their luck. And so I tried to make the XP system a little bit more straightforward and a little bit more Pavlovian. Like you get the XP immediately and you know how much it is. And it's more about getting the treasure. It's not necessarily even about how much of it you can take out of the dungeon it's about getting to it and so that was kind of one of the ways i tried to even the scale a little bit and push players to to want to continue pushing along yeah i think the challenge of that is especially you know the challenge of incentivizing players to go into <laughs> places they wouldn't normally go is especially true in kind of the the kind of niche that i, I feel like you really shine in which is kind of like horror fantasy where I mean, players kind of know <laughs> this is going to be bad, right? That's it's not. Uh, we're not in a world of whimsy here, but um, yeah, I, I admire and um, I have enjoyed your bundle of horror adventures. Um, Thank but you. I think like building a mystery and having players kind of like following threads narratively is like a really strong way to do that too. Which I think, um, like, yeah, I think you you find a really nice balance of. You know, yes, this is going to be bad, but like, hey, what's up with this worm stuff? You want to keep finding out, like keep going deeper into the house. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think you. that's like a really hard thing to write, like especially how to spread out this narrative across, you know, this nonlinear <laughs> exploration space. You you bring up such a good point with the idea too that it's sometimes it is actually about motivating the players themselves and like the characters are you know, the characters want to get more powerful, let's say, or they want to gain more XP or they want to like level up. But right. but the narrative thread is a way to really hook the players themselves in and, and get them to go do something that would be foolish for their characters, but interesting <laughs> for them because they want to find out mm-hmm. the answer to questions or discover secrets and rumors. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's a really powerful so, tool. So you have to, to hang out, you know, hang a pretty big matzo ball out there for the players <laughs> And they yes. have to make a decision as to like, okay, this might be interesting to me, but it might kill my character. And well, that's an interesting, I guess, segue into my next question, which is as someone whose background is in, I would say, more classic RPGs, but, you know, very much came into her own in the 5e space and is now shifting to kind of an interesting middle, uh, in my opinion, largely unexplored middle that I'm excited to more people are delving into people like, you know, um, uh, Ben Dutter with uh, Five Torches Deep and such. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like as your preferences have evolved, does designing a module for a system have greater importance or less importance? Like, like if I were to write something today and I wrote it for an old school system, I would definitely write it differently than uh, for fifth edition. Absolutely. I guess I just answered my own question. I- I'm wondering how <laughs> how has your... In experience in the fifth edition community and i mean to us as indie rpg designers that's the big pond right the fifth edition is like mm-hmm. 14 million players or whatever and we have a very small i mean i i think i know almost every osr designer at this point just because we're so few <laughs> so my question to you is do you feel like um how has shifting to a non-mainstream system affected your design principles and your choices yeah, that's I I appreciate you asking because it's sort of the reason why I made Shadow Dark. I I um originally because I originally was a, an adventure writer. That's almost entirely what I did. Um I did a little bit of system design help for some friends, like co co designing and testing a few things. But I had been writing professionally for fifth edition and adventure material almost primarily. I don't think I've written anything that's not a, a GM tool for adventuring or adventure generation. But anyway. Um, I wanted to start moving back a little bit more towards the exploration-driven style, which I, I don't feel 5th edition emphasizes to the extent that it could. Um, and I was kind of missing that because, you know, like you start to get nostalgic for the DD you remember as a kid. And, oh, we had so much fun just running around underneath the city-state of the Invincible Overlord with no goal except treasure. And um, I started to I started to want to explore a little bit about why my memories of playing D&D in that way so strongly impacted me and what I like about the game and and, and understand why I felt like that was missing from 5th edition. So I ended up writing Shadow Dark to be a, a way that I can write the adventure style that I want. My, my motivation was so that I could write adventures for it. <laughs> um, because I do think, like you said, that the the approach you take to designing the module is so different based on the game system itself because the system is is working actively to emphasize certain gameplay features and you can either fight against that or you can try to work with it and 
as I tried to write more old school, old school style stuff for fifth edition, I was fighting the system and yeah. it just wasn't working. So that's, that's what took me around about to the, to the writing of shadow dark. And you, yeah. you had, well, there's, I have two follow-ups. The first is you just like dropped city state of the invincible overlord, but you didn't mention who you played that with. Was this James Mishler? Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's he crazy. was my first dungeon. He's so I still play in a game with him every week. Oh, that's so amazing. It's, that's amazing. He's wow. the best. That's yeah, amazing. he's so great. With my high school, middle school friends, we get together tonight. We're gonna play. So wow. wow. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. It's so special. Yeah. Um all right. Well, I don't really know how to okay. Well before um any of the like fifth edition uh OGL debacle had had occurred, you had already shifted to making your own RPG and you'd even printed it right before the OGL, um, you know, when Watsi released the OGL, uh, the new preview of the OGL that's going to come out for that was going to come out for the 5.1 SRD and everyone freaked out about it because it was hugely restrictive and terrible. Uh, you had just received test copies of Shadow Dark, right? Like, yeah. just as that was happening. Yeah, it's- the 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 final like advanced reader copies of the book, which are like I was gonna send out to some friends, kind of to let them road test it one last time and just look through it, um, like paperbacks. <laughs> and I had the OGL printed in the back because I had been writing the book for three years prior. Um, so I just like within a week of getting these test copies, Wizards was like, "We're changing the deal." Yeah. <laughs> so I remember yeah. that video because you were in this living room that you're in right now, and yeah. and it, I my heart like sunk watching you hold up the physical print i really i felt for you and i i just wanted to say it was it was it was i'm I'm very impressed that you talked about it as you did because i think it did impact people and i think it impacted potentially even people like watsi so thank you for that thanks it's interesting what you were saying about kind of writing around around um kind of five e isms to kind of tell the stories you want to tell which I think is interesting, like the power, you know, 5e has a level of character power that's more, right? That's it's a lot higher than previous editions of D&D. Maybe not 4e, but, you know, certainly previous editions. And it's interesting, like, how things like, oh, almost every character has dark vision or like druids can turn into bugs. <laughs> like, <laughs> those don't seem like they'd be game changing, like game breaking powers, but it's weird how stuff like that can absolutely kind of defeat like exploration style modules. Like it makes so many challenges trivial if everyone can just see in the dark. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like what, what you're saying kind of made me think of that in a, in a, in a different light, how like it's impossible to tell <laughs> certain exploration style adventures adventure style you know stories in 5e because you have to write around all these little quirks of these powerful characters and it just kind of hamstrings you um so that's cool seeing shadow dark as kind of like let's file off some of these like um really sticky stuff like dark vision let's let's throw that out because um players grouse but like they don't know how much more fun it is to be scared in the dark like <laughs> trust yeah. me it is better <laughs> to not have that guys yeah. like you want to be scared this is more fun for us um that's cool it's just yeah it, i think you're doing good stuff with, with shadow dark it's really cool thank you thank you so much. it's it's interesting that it's just a few small things so uh-huh. i was convinced for a long time like oh i can just hack 5e into being what i want it to be and it, it's 
it's enough stuff. And I, and I, I kind of understand why certain changes have come about across the editions of D and D, like adding dark vision for everybody and trivializing light and equipment. Yeah. Um, because people over the generations perceive that to be like, not fun to, to keep track of or manage. Mm -hmm. And instead of making the system fun to manage, we just designed it out of the systems instead. Like we're like, we can't make dark, we're not going to try to make dark vision fun. We're just going to get, or I should say we can't make seeing in the dark fun. We're just going to give everyone dark vision. So I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see the forks and design throughout the editions. And like you guys either could have chosen to make this interesting or to get rid of it. And it was get rid of it a lot of the time. And that's how we've come to, the good buried dark vision infinite equipment carrying encumbrances meaningless <laughs> fifth edition that we have yeah but yeah like fifth edition has so much it's not just it's not just like a binary like 5e or old school like there are not quite innovations but there's things about 5e that i find players have a really hard time getting rid of if they're accustomed to it like custom you know character customization options and getting new powers over time as you level up and stuff like that like characters love that and players love that and i find like taking a 5e group and saying oh you know uh, the the wild shape is killing me we're done with this like we're going we're playing yeah oh you know original <laughs> dnd like so much of the modernisms of those kind of play styles, characters are just going to brush against. They just, they need that kind of style, which just isn't there. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going with this. There was a, when I ran fifth edition, I yeah. remember there was a, I set up this trap and it's basically the players go into this vault that locks behind them. And there's another door on the other side. And there are three trenches in the room. And there were four PCs. However many PCs are there are, there's always going to be one fewer trench in the room. And the ceiling begins to descend upon them. And they, you know, the, the idea is there's four of them, but there's only space for three of them in the trenches so that when the ceiling comes down, at least one person's going to die. And so, you know, immediately the wizard character tries to cast a spell, but sees that there's like a cone of silence or something on the room and they can't cast any spells. So that then... Led to a debate where the druid tried to argue that shape shifting or wild shape was not magic. That, um, you know, does what is wild shape preventable by a cone of silence or a similar kind of uh, anti magic effect. Now, I don't know what the actual answer is. I don't remember. It just made me hate the system. <laughs> I remember that. First of all, this <laughs> is some this is some Tomb of Horrors esque like anti player. Well, can I tell you what ends up happening? Here. Can I tell you what ends up happening? It doesn't crush them. It stops like halfway down, and then the rest, and then the floor goes down afterwards. It's like a fun trick. <laughs> it didn't really. It wasn't my best design to maybe clear, but it wasn't meant to kill them. It was just meant to like freak them out a little bit because it was part of this larger plot. But the point is, yeah. Um, Classic Scooby-Doo style, yeah, scare them into it. giving over the deed to the amusement park kind sure, of trap. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't, that was actually the whole c- conceit was like, oh, I'm not going to kill them. I'm just going to make them think they're going to die to see how they solve this problem. In the end, I did let the guy shift into a That's... freaking squirrel and he curled up in the arm of one of the other PCs and they laid in the, in the trenches. So, but again, I remember that being a turning point for me with fifth edition in terms of wh- figuring out what I liked. You know, I, mm-hmm. why are you making mm-hmm. that face, Brad? You look, you look upset. Oh, I'm, pr- I'm just thinking about something I said in high school one time that was really embarrassing, but that's okay. That's just what I like. That's just what I do. <laughs> this throughout took you the back day. to that. Okay. Was it the squirrel that took you back <laughs> yeah, to that memory? Or? <laughs> no, that's that's part of the experience of seeing me in person. Is just uh, you know seeing the 
Oh. It's, it's okay. <laughs> the pain okay. face. Well, I'm, all right. So I only have a couple more questions. Um, you've been playing, as you mentioned, for a really long time. What is, in your opinion, the biggest cultural shift you've seen in the RPG play space um, in your tenure as a RPG player slash, you know, GM, DM, whatever? Yeah, that's so, man, I think. I came into the game during second edition. So this was already the the post OD&D heyday of like unbridled creativity and weird slash no rules. Um, so I think I was already in the game kind of when the game was starting to, uh, what's the word for it? Um, like Formalized. condense or like, yeah, yeah. Be- become sort of fixed, you know, like people were beginning to agree, like these are the rules that we're going to use to do this. House ruling became almost like frowned upon. Like you're, you're supposed to follow the rules in the book now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a rule for everything, you know? And um, so that was like during the time that I joined the game. And I've actually seen us move away from that mentality then over time. So we, we moved from second edition to third edition where everything was supremely codified, enormous amounts of rules and and fiddling. And I guess an attempt to make what were once house rules into book rules. Um, and then fourth edition came along and kind of uh, went super hard on game balance to the point that I think it actually stripped any joy out of the, you know, differences between characters, but that's a whole can of worms. Um, <laughs> and then now we're moving, we moved into fifth edition and then alongside that into the OSR. And so the, the cultural shift that I have seen throughout the 20, 25 years I've been in the game is back towards sort of democratizing and enabling um, people to, to make the game their own. And you're allowed to not use this set of rules and you're allowed to customize and you're allowed to homebrew. And we've seen this proliferation of um, people making third-party game systems now and and tweaking D&D to be what they wanted and rewriting things from the ground up. So that's that to me is the culture I've seen. I've seen D&D become more DIY once again when that was once frowned upon. That's a great answer. Um, really interesting. I It makes me almost optimistic, so... <laughs> Thanks yeah, for that. Uh, I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last question. Putting you on the spot here. What module or adventure inspires you right now, or this year, or, or or of all time? Whatever. What is what is like when I say what module or adventure inspires you? What comes to mind? Yes. Um. I always man. I I feel like I always come back to sort of the same ones because they're they're sort of the elusive golden fleece that you chase but never get when you're trying to design like for me caverns of thracia is or i've always said thracia and then janelle jack told me it was thracia and i was like oh you can't argue (laughs) with that so yeah so i was like that's what she says you know so oh my goodness um so i was like all right i've been saying it wrong my whole life i need to fix this but um i always i always go back to that one because i feel like uh there's something about it that's so hard to capture as far as the feel, like the realistic feeling, the, the, the naturalism feeling of the dungeon and the way that it all integrates, the way that um, the way that it just all comes together into some kind of living whole that's so much more than the sum of its parts. I, I feel like I'm aware of the fact that the adventure has that, but to recreate it in my own work has been really difficult. I, I'm always trying to, and I'm always trying to emulate that really magical quality that that adventure has and, and sometimes to more or less success. So um, I don't know, Brad, do you, do you guys have one that you feel is like 
it just always is a touchstone for you. Mm, I mean, that's a great one, Thracia. There is like a magic about that one. Just the yeah. interconnectivity, like the weird subfloors that are totally missable. And then all of a sudden yes. you're like outside, but underground. I mean, yeah, yeah that one, I, I really wish that was in print somehow. I think it's like you can't buy there it. There was a there. Judge's Guild thing that didn't happen i guess there was like a mm. a reprint uh, a couple of years ago on and i, I don't mm-hmm. know what the deal is with it kind of like doing what goodman games did but not exactly um so i i think it's eventually going to happen I, I don't know they will bring i think goodman just acquired the full rights to it so i think they're going to bring it back i would love to see that yeah you know? it would be it would totally. be great it would be really great um we're constantly complaining here about the low quality of reprints and even scans and it's how do you say Thracia? Is that how you're saying it? If I recall right, it's supposed to be Thracia. Yeah. I said it like you, Kelsey. I said Thracia. I've always said Thracia or Thracia. I mean, wow, Sacofeco, who's right? I don't know. But well, I that's, don't know no, in this case, Janelle is right. Janelle, Janelle is, is right. That's yeah. all that matters. That's, it doesn't. I no. asked because I was like, the fallacy of intent. Once the artist releases yes. the work, it is in the hands of the people. But if okay? they're still alive, you respect them. That's what I said. Yes. I don't. Th- I don't I know. I don't okay, know. Okay, so let's I talk about kindness. Yeah. What about GIF? Is it a GIF or GIF? How do you guys prefer? Uh, I say GIF. It's it's. But the, GIF. the creator said GIF, so it's a it, I don't really. Think, I don't think so, you should yeah. respect that. Yeah, no, I I, I, I I would agree with you in this case. Um, that's the fallacy mm-hmm. of intent. We get back to the intent of the artist is ultimately irrelevant. No, no, Art no. But subjective. What I, no, oh, I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying is that I. Just like Janelle Jaquay, so why would I possibly yeah. want to disagree with her? And this this she's guy, never argued this. Yeah. She's never been like it's pronounced yeah. this way. I had to like yeah. embarrassingly be like your your adventure caverns of yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like you yeah. know caverns of grace yeah. is like my favorite and you know like I got That's... to I got to meet her at a convention and. Dude. Do you have her number, Kelsey? So cool. Can we get her on the blower yeah, here? I really want to. I'm gonna this have out to here. do that. Well, yeah. can I? Can I feel I, like we're yeah. we're almost friends enough to oh, have wow. each other's numbers. Oh my goodness, wow. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, a few more cons. Oh. At least uh-huh. she's not having to tell people how to, you know, write her damn name anymore or say her name because like because right. once like, that came out, like now I I notice people write it with the S at the end, dropping and, the S. Yeah, in the decaying yeah. the dungeon yeah. article by the yeah. Alexandrian, which like I think accidentally dropped the S yeah. and then yeah. made right. No, he and didn't I thought mean it was a plan. He didn't. Yeah, no, he didn't. He just forgot the S. I think, and now it's like Jack K sing the yeah. dungeon. I don't. know. I think it sounds cool. better. I think with the S, it sounds better. Yeah. It makes it sound. I think it know, sounds cool. At the, okay, um, oh, good. All right, <laughs> well, let's let's shift. Um, thank you so much for answering those questions for, and for being here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. We could probably do that for a long time, but we must move on. Um, our module for today is Gradient Descent, which is written by Luke Gearing. Uh, this is the be the uh, this will be the second Luke Gearing written piece that we've done here. Um, both Brad and I have a bunch of his stuff, but I think the last one we did was The Isle, which was our very first uh, episode. So welcome back, That's right. uh, uh, Luke. And this is Layout and Design by Sean McCoy of Mothership fame, obviously. Um, editing and Development, Jarrett Crater. Art is Nick Tafani. Now, I usually mention who the cartographer was. I'm guessing in this case it's Sean because it's sort of part of the layout. Am I wrong about that? That Sean did the maps as well. I would guess that too. I don't know. It's 
He, that's all like does the design is Sean, right? Right, There's right. That's part of design. Sean McCoyisms throughout, but, right? Um, oh, I, oh, yeah. I, I wonder yeah. where the origin of like the flowchart style right. mapping, right? Like, so, what well, was the, the yeah the We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Finally, proofreading Jared Sinclair and Daniel Hallinan and publisher is Tuesday Night Games, obviously. Uh, so before we begin, I usually, Brad, you do a like adventure overview. And that's, yes. I, I'm glad you do. But before we do that, I want to ask both of you a question. Do you know okay. what gradient descent means? I know it's a math term that was probably outside my writing degrees punching weight. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and yeah, Brad? I know, I know it's, uh, it's some kind of, I'm going to say algorithm uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for machine learning. That's I don't right. know the details that's beyond right. that, but I know okay. it's used okay. for like AI yeah. development. Do, that's uh, Yeah, that's kind of all you need to know. If it's of any interest to you, I can explain to you what it is. Uh, this was like some, this was a, a pop quiz that you were seeing how, how smart no, or dumb no. we are so you can educate <laughs> us. I don't like this. This We said we said no gotchas, okay? We said no gotcha journalism here, Yochai. I want to know. Here, Here's what I realize is I mean, I know what gradient descent meant when I first opened it up, but I, what I thought was, oh, is that just like a fun name? And it's like vaguely alluding to the larger theme. But no, I think it actually is a really applicable name if you understand what it is. So not for your purposes, but for the purposes of our audience, I do want to kind of explain what it means. If that's okay with you, smarty pants. All right. I want to know. Let's yeah. see the big brain on your okay. high. Let's, okay. let's hear about it's it. It's not about big brain. You're always talking about the size <laughs> of people's brains. Uh, all right. So. You know how I had it described to me once? Um, imagine that you're on a hill and you're blindfolded and your goal is just to like walk down that hill to where it flattens out into a, like a, you know, a valley or whatever. Um, imagine if you were trying to figure out whether you were walking downhill by feeling whether the ground was sloping or not. The gradient descent would basically look at every time you make an error and try to help you figure out how to optimize that path to get to, down to the bottom of the hill as quickly as possible. Does that make sense? Ooh, that's a really great way to explain it, actually. That's very cool. But it seems like it, it, it defines the world based on how least wrong everything is, right? Well, it's the, it's the cost. They call it the cost. So, mm-hmm. it, it okay. you know, every time it doesn't look at your successes, it looks at your failures. Yeah, there it is. And, and that's, yeah, that's and what's it, kind of cool about it. Is my understanding implies too that there's like an objective unknown truth that someone else but controls. That's actually the whole idea mm. behind it. That's what's so fascinating about green is is you are deciding true or false. And then it is working from that, from your idea of true or false. That part really stands out to me about it. It is basically like an assistant that looks at how wrong you are and helps compensate for your wrongness by detecting a pattern. And then um, compensating for that pattern over time. That's is I'm trying to like think of how to say this without being like having to explain new term. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. Uh, that's that's great. I love say. it, and it's it's pure. It's it just the title is an element of this mm-hmm. entire adventure yeah. that goes so deep and has so much richness to it, which. Spoiler alert! This I, I feel like this adventure might be the best horror adventure that I've ever read, ever. <laughs> yeah, and so that's just you know we're starting off strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I think I think sure. uh, there's one more thing on the cover, you know, in one of the um, many uh, I don't know what you call those. I'll just forget it. That you know how it's like it's showing you a waveform in one of the 
lines on the wave, it says, I dreamt I was a butterfly. And that's a reference mm-hmm. to the Chinese, um, I, I wouldn't call it a folktale, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a proverb. I don't know. But basically there's this philosopher, Cheng Tzu, who dreamt he was a butterfly. And then when he woke up, he wondered if, is he a man who dreamed he was a butterfly or is he a butterfly dreaming that he was a man? Interesting. It really pisses me off that Luke Gearing is only like 27 or something. You know what I mean? So smart. You're right. You're right. I'm it's really with, with, with <laughs> angst about that. Yeah. Well, I said that. I said that to Jarrett Creator once, and he said, "Well, he works at it. I don't care. Oh, come on. I'm working. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's true. It's really smart. I. I actually wonder whether that was his idea. To it is. It's a well-known conceit, but it work. It does so much work, and that's what first caught me when I first looked at the book in print. Was I? I immediately. I. I kind of got the gist just from that. I dreamt I was a butterfly. Ugh, all right, all right. This is getting heady already. Give us oh, the yeah. give us the overview, please, Brad. Okay, well, there's a big space station and it's full of bad robots. And uh, I didn't say give it to us like you were reading your son a bedtime story. <laughs> okay, I just thought I'd contrast the the, the master's thesis here with some. I'm going to speak to the people now. You know, um, yeah. So the 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 concept here, there is a. A um, an AI factory space station, or I guess an android uh, space station, whatever. It, there's a space station that builds these androids, and uh, it's no longer in operation. It's closed down, um, and there is an armada of ships surrounding it that prevent people from coming and going. Um, but there's the lights are still on. There is a an AI called the monarch, which is controlling it. And uh, it, I guess uh, sensibly it's full of treasure. <laughs> is that, I guess that's why you're there. Um, players come to the space station. They try to plunder it and they find that, um, yeah, the monarch, the AI is still very much doing its thing. It's still building androids and it's building androids that are indecipherable from people. And the longer you're in here, the more you have to grapple with the idea that maybe you are an android who has always been here. And so there's a lot of um, identity stuff, which is presented through a unique mechanic to this called the bends. That the more you see freaky <laughs> AI stuff um, or freaky like android replicant stuff, the more you have to struggle with the idea of, if you are who you think you are. Um, so really, really novel. Yeah. And, and to note to that, you can only determine whether someone is an Android, apparently if after they're dead. <laughs> yes. Like, after they're dead, you can which, plug in a device to check. Right. Which I, um, I immediately wondered, has that always been true mm-hmm. in the mothership ship sort of lore? Because there is an Android class. And I always assumed that they were kind of like the androids from, you know, uh, alien. Ash. Remember Ash, that dude. I think like bef- before we get into it, this this is one of my my criticisms, not just with this, but with Mothership, is that it never really tells you what an android is. <laughs> never. I mean, Mothership doesn't say. I mean, you know, it's like... You call it a criticism. I call it a opposite of a criticism. <laughs> I think in the context of this module, though, it's a challenge. It, it matters. Yeah. To know, like, do androids need to change their batteries? Do they eat human food? Like... I need some basics about androids to really understand how to run them. Right, and actually, like, you could come up with that yourself, but the problem is it might be counter to uh-huh. what the module is saying because there are times right. where mm, things right. only affect androids. And right. if that's the case, then 
can't you tell if someone's an android? You know, there was that that question yeah. came up a lot. Sorry, I don't want to jump into it. I, no, I and I'm skipping you. way ahead because we've been talking about, you know, hey, what's our, our kind of quick, you know, hip shot overview? You know, how is this thing? But that that is something that I struggle with all through this and actually just with Mothership is like, I just want some more. Are they full of milk like in Alien? But that's, <laughs> you know, that, like, here's what the thing, is though. an android? First what off, is it? it what wasn't is it? milk. Yeah. They used, I think, fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what what I think is so successful or why I, Mothership is different than all other sci-fi RPGs, in my opinion. Partly it's because it focuses on OSR style play in my in my mind, but also... You know, the core issue with science fiction role-playing games is that Mm -hmm. you have to come up with answers way more often than you do in fantasy. Like, if you're Mm -hmm. flying a spaceship and there's a problem with the engine, you got to explain how the engine works. And there's this endless, there's another planet full of X kinds of people. There's all, it's unlimited. I, I ran Any Planet is Earth for a while, and it was so hard to come up with stuff. It's really hard. And what I think Mothership does well is it walks that balance of here's a hard and fast world. It's all the themes of 80s sci-fi films you've watched, but we're mm-hmm. going to kind of leave it loose. Like, yeah, this is an interplanetary whatever, but it's not mm-hmm. Star Wars and it's not Star Trek. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, Alien or um, Moon or I don't know. I'm trying to think of what other touchstones there are that. That probably went into it. So I, I feel like it's 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 in its strength to be more loose because mm-hmm. then you're not faced with those challenges. I generally agree, except for things like this, in which it's a question I keep hitting my head against. Right. But anyway, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's do a round robin thing. Quick, quick power power hour here. Power two minutes. What'd you think of this thing? Let's go around, Kelsey. Well, I guess I I already I did. I loved loved Gradient Descent. I yeah. of course I. I agree with you too that I think that particularly in this module it um it defines specifically what the special androids are enough that you know that they're indistinguishable from humans but I it, it could be a challenge to know how to you know split like android PCs from the androids in this facility anyway I I love this module for some reason I find it incredibly spooky every time I read it and I think it reaches so far beyond just what's going on in the actual adventure and into very effectively scaring the players the 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 people playing the characters which is really the the crux of excellent horror and i'm like wow i i don't know if i've ever seen an adventure so effectively do this from so many angles and i was so impressed by that and i often come back to this and read it and i'm like this is this is like an icon of horror and (laughs) in the RPG space. Well, especially since you you can't even show players the art because it's so integrated oh. with the module itself that you'd have to like cover half the page with your hand <laughs> yes. to, show, to show it. Just, just, okay. Just look at the top here. Isn't that look how messed up that <laughs> yeah. is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much art in this module that's worth showing. And it's so clearly designed to, yes. to be spooky. Like just even just like the subtleties, like when you're looking at the interior spaces, the adventure has, human-sized spaces and then industrial-sized spaces. And there are some example photos. And like the the fact that they keep the the backdrop shadowy and the angle of the image sort of pointing into this darkness, it's hard to... And just the implied like decrepitness of the space, but still being a familiar industrial or office type setting. Mm-hmm. Just those two pieces of art are so impactful that I'm like, I have to be able to show these to my players. They're so good. Those are the... Yeah, those are the least scary pieces of art in the entire. They are the least scary, but they're still scary. <laughs> they're good. There, there are there are images here that don't need to be scary that are just absolutely terrifying. Like 
here is a guy who lives on the ship. And you're like, this person's a monster. <laughs> yes. you know, they, here's our Arcady. Don't look at him. Here's Noriko. Don't They're so look. scary. Don't look. It's yeah, the actually, so if I could comment just on the art real quick. So this is all Nick Tafani, who's a well-known horror artist. I didn't actually know until this module that he did any work in RPGs. Um, it's, you know, very, very talented. It is interesting to look at the art of this, the satellite and all the spaceships and stuff themselves compared to the art done for the androids. It's like all the technology is like kind of beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, almost um, clinical. And then the art for the people are they are monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're yes. all ghosts and monsters. It's quite an interesting juxtaposition. Sorry, continue, Kelsey. So you think this is a really great horror module. You think it succeeds because it sc- actually scares the players. Um, what else do you think? Yeah, I well, those are those are kind of my two big takeaways. I think that the the design, the layout of it is spectacular. I think that the the there are so many elements baked into the design of the page that are critical. Like just the fact that you can tell if a room is lit or not based on the background color of the page. Yes. Um, is so genius. And I, I highly approve of the way that each room is sort of structured with how the information is laid out in a succinct bullet style indented thing. So I think it just, I, I don't know if this is maybe, you know how sometimes you read something and you're like, uh, somebody must've known my entire, like it's almost <laughs> as if someone wrote something to hit your list of stuff, even though obviously that's impossible, but you're like, this yeah. checks off everything that I think is um, spectacular in an adventure. And that's what I felt about this one when I read it. They didn't write it for me, so, but I'd <laughs> like to think that, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's wonderful. Uh, I have a question for both mm. of you before we get to Brad's okay. review. Is this a mega dungeon? <sighs> you know, there's no like, there's no like national board of mega dungeons to approve, you know. There's no like list of, of requirements. I think looking at the number of rooms, the inner the connection between the rooms, the faction play, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. Me- this is a mega dungeon. Yeah, I mean there are. We've definitely reviewed modules that have seventy mm-hmm. odd rooms that I wouldn't have called a mega dungeon. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you in this case that it is just because it's a really big dungeon with mm-hmm. many floors. That's kind of the only way I think right. about it. This is no Arden Vol or anything, but it is enough rooms. That's my opinion. I don't know, Kelsey, if you have any thoughts on this, maybe it doesn't matter to you, but I'm just curious what you guys I thought. do. No, I agree. I do think it's a mega, you know, a mega dungeon to me and everybody's going to have slightly different opinions. It, it it has to have sort of discrete zones that you can move between freely mm-hmm. that require you to come and go multiple times before you can really like there, I think there's something about the way it's set up where you have to leave a few times because you run out of resources. And yeah. so um, to me that qualifies it. Whereas like, you know, you could have like a 30 or 40 room dungeon, but if it's something the characters could do in one or two runs, I, I wouldn't, I would, even if it was multiple floors, I wouldn't call that a mega dungeon, mm-hmm. but this one most certainly is, I think. Oh. Oh, okay. So follow-up question. And this is for you, Brad, because we've talked about yep. this before. Does this qualify as a nega dungeon? <laughs> yeah, and wait, real quick, for those who don't know, listening, a nega dungeon, which I don't remember who coined it, but I learned about it from Gus uh-huh. L. Basically, it is when an adventure emphasizes the horrific, uh-huh. um, generally through like horrible traps and stuff, which this does. Um, ton of permanent body horror kind of impacts on the player characters. And then finally, there's an overall kind of push towards disaster <laughs> and, you know, 
uh, horrible outcomes. Like the more you go, the more terrible it becomes. So that's my question is, do you consider this a nega? <sighs> it's hard to imagine an outcome that isn't um, at a net loss for players. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess you could do this total commando style. Get the treasure, get in and out. But it skews Nega Dungeon. I don't know. I don't think it has that kind of. Uh, there's a certain like thread of hatred <laughs> that runs in the Nega Dungeons I've I've seen or ran that like you could feel the um, the designer's ill intent towards me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like this still has a playfulness in it that's keeping me from embracing that term here. There is some fun to be had here, even though it is awful and horrifying. So I think it's on so, the line. Okay, it's so on the line. saying yeah. that, say, okay, so yeah. saying that, fun but awful yeah. and horrifying. What did you think of this? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it's great. I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and call this modern classic. <laughs> Stamp it, modern classic. Um, I think okay. it does so much that's interesting. I think it does so much that seems innovative. I mean, just like. A sci-fi space mega dungeon alone, like I've never seen that. Um, you fit it in like sixty pages, and also it's a zine, man. This thing's fifteen bucks. Come on, we don't usually talk about how much things cost and like value or whatever, but this is like an absurd amount of like art and value in a fifteen dollar package. Amazing. Um, yeah, the as Kelsey said, it is, I think, one of the scarier modules I've read. When I first read it, I really took my time with it and read it like really slowly over the course of a week. And it was like right when um, when I had a newborn and I was like up like all night, like kind of reading. And I was reading it in like the early hours of the morning. And I would just have to put it down sometimes because it was like really freaking me out. Um, it kind of revealed to me things that are scary that I've never thought would be scary before. <laughs> like... Yes. Um, the vast indoor spaces that are completely unlit and have no gravity and like that possibility of gliding through and like something knocks into you or something, your inertia is canceled out and you're just stuck like dangling in zero G in a giant indoor space in the dark, like really feels like this weird primal fear that someone had to invent to terrify me. Like that is scary. Um, so it's cool. All the Android, like, am I an Android stuff is, I think, really interesting, really well done. Um, I do think there are some issues which uh, prevent me from fully embracing it. <laughs> I wish some things were more clearly defined. I think Luke Gearing um, really resists giving hooks on on his work. And I think this really sorely needs it. And I don't know. I think we can talk about about that more. Some things are just not defined enough. Why player characters are coming here. I want, I need more. I need more. Like the promise of treasure is not enough for me to go in this horrible space. It's not. I like the, um, the other option where you wake up here. I think that's a lot stronger, Mm -hmm. but, um, I ran this in a mothership campaign and players spent one session here and they're like, we're, we're out of here. We're leaving. Anything is better. We, we can't, this is too scary. Um, you know, so I think it, it needs some stronger hooks. Um, but that said, like still net, you know, this is, this is fantastic and uh, a strong, strong recommendation for anyone to read it. Yeah. What about you? Okay. Passing the puck. What do you think? 
Okay. <laughs> I love when the sinister laughter starts before your. It was your, vaguely your, evil. It, yeah. It, <laughs> okay. I feel like this like villain side has been coming out lately. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just okay. Uh, sometimes in life, when something is very very good, and a lot of people like it, the brain will look for the bad as much as possible. Right? It's just sort of natural. This thing is popular. Let's find the problems with it. Um, that is my tendency, I think, is to sort of be like, well, maybe it's not so good because, you know, the people don't always know, you know, it's that sort of arrogance. Um, in this case, I think that the crowd is correct. I think it's very, very good. There's a big butt coming. I'm waiting for the big butt. I think that the only... Okay, so here's the problem. When you're looking at some, a module of this caliber, right? The, the design and layout and writing yeah. are 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, right? Across the board. So just get that out of the way, you know? I do have one bone to pick, uh, is that there's no index, hmm. which I think would have been helpful. I know I've never mentioned this before, but I like indexes. You talk about this all the time. I don't think it needs it. That, that's I disagree with that. Um, I have a number of other kind of minor quibbles. The only major issue I have, I think that the module succeeds at horror because of the art, not because of the module. I think if you replaced all the art with very, very good art that wasn't horror, you would not call this a horror module. I think the art does all the heavy lifting. And I think it's really good art. It's not like my taste, but it's extremely effective. And some of it I like a lot. Um, I just feel like it does all the heavy lifting. And if you put any other artist to task on this, you could totally sell it as just like a, a creepy place to go to. But I, I think they're leaning way too much on the art for the horror aspect. And it totally works. It totally works. But it's like most of the modules we review, the art is like 30% of why I like a thing, which maybe that's high, but it is like a significant portion of why I like something because it sells the theme. It makes it evocative. It gives you clear picture of what the designers intended in this case it's like almost 50 percent of the wow horror impact is coming from the art and uh so so that's that's my major issue because when you look at the specifics and look luke is one of the best writers in the scene he knows how to not only be evocative but interesting and clear and concise i find the rooms to be largely repetitive. They don't take advantage of the physical space that people seem mm -hmm. to relish yeah. from this kind of adventure. And I have specifics I can mention when we do deep dive. Um, actually, I can mention one if you'd like. That's not really spoilery that I recorded. But uh, my opinion is this is absolutely a masterwork of design, writing, layout, especially art, everything, development. It is top, top, top shelf. Do I think it succeeds as a written module? I would have to play to find out because the art does mm. too much of the heavy, heavy hitting here. So that's my quick kind of feeling on it. I do want to just layer on some things I did like a lot, if that's okay. Or do you guys, would you rather, would you rather shoot me down first? <laughs> well, no, I will say that I think that the art is enormously impactful and I hadn't, I hadn't maybe thought how much separating the art from the writing itself could could impact my opinion on the module. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up because of a lot of the modules I've read, 
the art in this one has had a, a really strong impact, like a, like a much normal, much higher than normal impact on me than a typical module. So that means something, you know. Yeah. Oh, and maybe it means it's a reason to like it, but it might not work for True. everyone the same way. Uh, what I what I did want to point out is there are these great little yeah. footers on each page that you know that just give you like advice just like i i, I almost at some point imagine there's some like life advice in there like it's just nice little things you know hey ignore the ignore the bad results you yeah. know it's, it's got these kind of little quips i really liked all of those i, I can see and somehow i know sean mccoy wrote those like me too i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> right i know that's not luke gearing i don't know why but i just like i just know yeah. No, it's because I hundred percent. If you, if you look at like uh-huh. the warden's manual for Mothership, you're like, yeah. And I know that that's not all him. He's got a team, but yeah, I I can feel it definitely. Though this is a Sean McCoy joint. Like he is just the best at what he does. Uh, and it's not just the layout; it's the emphasis. Like I love the section on player agency. I like the um way that you mentioned it earlier. How you know light pages are. Where if there's light in the room, so yes. if the page is white, you know that the room is lit. Um, there's also the text is really tiny. I kept thinking when it wrote AI core that it was writing Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> so fun, yeah. Reduced by a letter grade for Al Gore all over the yeah. 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 I, I'm not I'm not um the kind of colorblind that would have a problem with this, but I mm. could see that being a problem for some people. Just the red on black in a couple cases. I could be wrong. That, that's just a guess. I, I will say. The overall formatting is just stupendous, you know, underlining red, red for danger, um, you know, using these brackets to indicate whether something is interactive or not. Yeah, I think it's so easy to just know what something is. I will say the lack of an index would hurt me at the table personally on a PDF. It would not. But as you know, I tend to read these in print. Um, The overall design schematics of the map, like every map is basically... Uh, like a wiring diagram. Very cool. I did have to reference the legend in the beginning multiple Mm -hmm. times because I would forget like, what does that symbol mean? Is that just for effect or does that actually mean something that I'm missing? Oh, secret room. Got it. You know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's not a criticism, just a reality. Um, So I had a number of other questions that I wrote down. Um, I, I think the last comment I would make is that, Many of these rooms felt overly brutal, and I don't mind that. But if you are making a mega dungeon where every single room will kill you, (laughs) the only way it works is if you only explore a portion of it, which is totally fine. But that does mean you then have to give up on the exploration aspect of play because of the fear that Kelsey mentioned earlier. It's always this exploration versus death kind of balance and in this case death looms large you know so i i feel like it you have to make a choice here they do give you tools to make it less lethal to some degree you know reducing random encounters and such or increasing actually is what they suggest because the default random encounter rolls are really low it's like when you roll doubles out of a d100 um anyhow that's my i know i just talked a lot that's kind of how i feel i have many questions that are better done in deep dive so that's where i'm at yeah, a lot to a lot to respond to there. I mean, I do think it's worth just noting again how Sean McCoy's layout and design here is um, just amazing. Like, it's such a maximalist design. Like, crams so much information into a spread yeah. and uses like 
every tool, like color, you know, bolding, where you're, but like so much information is conveyed in such a compact way that I like it totally sings. And this would be so difficult to emulate, like just the difference between someone who knows how to do design and someone who's like trying their best. Like, I don't know. This is, I think, really hard to emulate, uh, but it's just totally, totally nails it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. OK, what do we want to talk about first? Maybe. Deep dive. Deep dive. First. We're in the deep dive territory. Deep spoilers. Yeah. So you said you think the rooms are both um, repetitive and also too brutal. So I feel like there's some sections that I agree with. Like once we get into the factory, it is seems like room after room of like um, just annihilation. <laughs> like all these things are <laughs> humans aren't meant to be there. And it says that. But um, yeah, I, I wonder how that works in play just because it is so connected to everything that, you know, these room these areas seem very discreet at in the book. But like players are going to find how they connect to like safe quote safe spots, you know, cafeteria stuff like that. That's that's what I'm I'm wondering how true that is. I suspect we're gonna like players are going to find little little sweet spots. But Kelsey, what did you feel about that? Like just room does, room layout wise, did that work for you? Yeah, I I think that you're you're right. I I found it interesting that. At the beginning of the adventure, there is a kind of disclaimer like, hey, you could play this whole adventure without having combat or yeah. something akin. And I was like, I don't see that as being possible <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. You know, even just the way that the monarch progresses into a more hostile take over time. I just I don't see a way around that. And so, like mm-hmm. to me, it feels like there are some sections that are incredibly brutal. And I and I was I, it, it's funny that we were talking about incentivizing exploration versus the cost of it earlier, because that was my, one of my major concerns where I was like, well, there are places in here that players probably will avoid like the plague and have mm-hmm. no strong reason to even want to go to, unless they're starting to do maybe to discover some, some of the deeper secrets of this place that are so impactful that they're worth pursuing. Um but that's not necessarily a given, right? So they have to get through yeah. a lot of grindiness before that happens. And and I, I agree with you that part of it is really heavy, <laughs> really grindy. Yeah. That's a that's a good way of putting it, grindy. I hadn't thought about that. It's it does feel it's not like you're it's not like you're just like doing nothing. You have a, a reason to be there. And maybe the idea is you only explore a part of it before you end up dealing with the monarch or getting a you know hired by the monarch or whatever. Um Yeah, I guess I I didn't consider it, but I, I think you're right. It's it's it gets a little grindy when, once you've read seventy of yeah. these rooms. Maybe it's my problem for reading them all at once. Yeah, it's, it's it is like taken as a whole. If you're like, wow, the character's going to every one of these rooms. I right. I actually I think that it's designed so that's not the goal. I right. think that because the monarch is going to start escalating things much earlier than if the characters were to have explored every single room, unless they somehow managed to do so quiet as a mouse without disturbing anything ever, which is it's set up to make that impossible. (laughs) So, so I think that I don't think it is meant to have them go into every, every single section and zone, you know, 
I think that's a mark of a mega dungeon also in that a mega mm-hmm. dungeon, you're not meant to see everything. It's too tedious. It's too big. You know, you're not going to get reward from that. So mm-hmm. um, I think the rumors do a good job, too, of mm-hmm. giving players like goals, you know, Arcades like, oh, hey, there's this kid on three, four that knows how to kill Monarch or whatever. Like, OK, let's get there. All of a sudden you have a reason to be moving through the factory. It's not just like, hey, let's mm-hmm. explore this brutal hell space. It's kind of like we have to get through this. <laughs> brutalist industrial murder machine to find a goal and i think that is an interesting way to look at these spaces as well Mm -hmm. um the i I guess my one issue i took with some of the layout of the rooms is that um i think the design here is that humans aren't maybe even capable of understanding how this factory works like it's just too big it's too complicated these things are connected in ways you can kind of get a like a general like feel for like oh this is like the where they grow <laughs> pseudo flesh or whatever but um still some of the ways the rooms were connected had me really scratching my head like my one room that i really always keep coming back to is the giant fan <laughs> Is that there's this huge fan and it's like, great, fantastic. I love a huge fan and sci-fi. Great. And we got to float through this thing. It might chop us up. There's hatches like, okay, awesome. But like, why? Why is there a big fan? It's not cooling anything down around there as far as I can tell. Like there's no vents to take the air. Uh, like I just made assumptions that there were like disused parts that it was very, you know, the monarch was uh, would try things and then leave them aside. I don't. Can I piggyback off of yeah. that though? So earlier I mentioned how there's an example I wanted to read. Okay. In the beginning of the book, they talk about how rooms that have a little square in front of the room title indicates that they're like an industrial size area, which is brilliant design. Brilliant design. I don't feel like the adventure makes use of those industrial size spaces very well. And I'll give you an example. Um, In 34C, discharge spikes. Empty void stinks of burning. Carbonized android shells float like cherry blossoms. Huge spikes protrude from the walls, releasing gouts of electricity every 3.5 seconds. So here's the problem. If this is an industrial-sized room, how far are you from these spikes? How far are you from the electrical arcs? Is my understanding... Because this is, by the way, an instant death sort of situation. Is my understanding to be that you can't avoid these despite this being an industrially-sized room? I was confused about stuff like that in a couple places. That might not even be the best examples. There were some other ones I read as well where I was just thinking, well, this that thing is in the middle of the room, but we're in this giant room. I should be able to walk around it or hide behind a, you know, scaffolding or something. So that 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 often troubled me is I just didn't feel like the sense of scale hmm. was used to the le- look. It works great on a thematic level. You know, you mentioned it at the beginning the sense of powerlessness and smallness yeah uh, it, it reminds me of um the peter watts novel blind sight which is um about what if humans actually did interact with a foreign intelligence namely a, an alien species like how we couldn't even fathom you know the horror of that and this kind of reminds me of that which is you know kudos to to luke but i feel that the room itself or the the, the use of space didn't succeed in the way that maybe i had hoped I'm going to disagree. Kelsey, you want to go first? I I think that, well, I do, I do agree that that, that is a really excellent example of where I needed a little more to understand exactly, because even saying something as simple as 
when your body save when passing close or instant death would sure. imply that it doesn't mean it happens all the time, you know, and then it turns the room from being into like a, a, a death trap into being like maybe a tool or a puzzle. Yeah, well, this is passing through. Yeah. So I'm like, can I just go around it? Right. I when passing it through. The whole yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess if it, I would have loved to see it say like when passing close to spikes, which take up, you know, you're right. That, that there was an opportunity missed in that particular room, I think to, to use the space for what it is. Cause there's, I don't have any conception of how big the, the spikes are in this room yet. It's a room that's well, like the size of a warehouse, you know? Oh, and th- just a comment about the art again, real quick, and I I do want to hear your rebuttal, Brad. Yeah. But the this is an area where I loved all the architectural art, yeah, all the art that wasn't scary people. I think it would have been great to have some of this actually illustrated yeah. in a couple of cases. Um, I, like I think it could have done a lot for people like me who maybe have some uh, three dimensional visual sort of physical reality <laughs> imagination problems. Um, but sorry, go continue, Kelsey. Oh, that's all I had on that. And yeah. Ah, okay, cool. All right. So Brad, yeah, please. So well, uh, I will agree that, so the rooms are very concise. We get maybe one sentence on a lot of these. So there are a lot of rooms where I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just, um, yeah. Like sometimes it's just way too brief. I need more to understand like what the challenge in mind in the room here. But I do think the use of industrial spaces are generally pretty effective as opposed to you know, when it's just a standard room, I think they kind of switch it up. It's either like a practical purpose, like, oh, we need a, a way to have 100,000 androids in a room. So, of course, this is huge. Um, or it's a navigational challenge. Like, this is a giant space. It's hard to even find an exit. The challenge is just getting from point A to point B. Or sometimes it's just used for vibes, you know, like a little thing in this massive warehouse size space. It <laughs> feels friggin' scary, yeah. you know. The one about water vapor looking like stars. I really yeah. like that one. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, Such a good writer. Yeah. But sometimes I'm scratching my head on like, what, what, what is this? Like, um, especially when it gets a little technical sometimes, like in floor four hell, when it's like um, the ACL experimentation room, endless sensory and analytic devices, craning and reaching towards the center, inaccessible from within the station. I'm like, what do you, what is it? What are you talking about? What does any of that mean? Like, what is ACL? Like, I don't, I'm looking that up. Like, uh, I don't. They're not talking about the, like, the, in the, in a body? Like, that, um, is it a tendon? What is it? Is it an ACL a tendon? Oh, that's like a knee tendon? Yeah. Is that what that's referring to? I yeah, I think so. I don't the, know. An, an, I don't like. Anterior cruciate lig- ligament. It's a ligament. <laughs> <laughs> that... The thing that tears when you play soccer no, past I, the age of 30. I, yeah. <laughs> I legit, I legit was thinking, like, oh, yeah, that's where they, like, bend ligaments or whatever back and forth because that, that's what i thought they meant seriously i <laughs> i'm reading these fast so i'm not gonna <laughs> spend a lot of time thinking about it but i think if i if i was at the table and we got to this room i have to fill in some blanks and i'm nervous i'm gonna fill in the wrong blank here because with androidy sci-fi stuff i don't know it's hard to set a precedent right. and then well you don't have the same core themes as you do in fantasy fantasy yeah, it's exactly. you, even if you're deviating you're you're deviating from a norm you know, and, yeah. And, uh, I would say the. So uh, let's take a step back here. Mm-hmm. How do you define science fiction? No, why? Why? What, <laughs> what do we? No, no, because it helps. It helps frame the way you deal with these kinds of unknowns, right? Science fiction. There's this. There's this default. Okay, so I'll give you my definition just to explain what I'm. What I mean here. To me, science okay. fiction mm-hmm. is when you take a piece of technology. And you write a story 
about how that technology impacts human behavior. And what I see in science fiction RPGs, it's something actually Mike Pondsmith said once, uh, is that with technology, you can't just make it up. You ha- you can't just imagine it. In fantasy, right. you just make it up. Yeah. If, if, right. you, mm-hmm. if you say, well, the ACL experimentation room, you have to justify what is ACL. You have to say what it is. Sure. And in fantasy, it's like, well, the, the fey lords of old. Cool. Yeah. You know, it's so to me, it's it's an issue with science fiction, not this module. Right. But I think that echoes some of the my issues with this module in that we pack so much into a small package that sometimes I just need, I want more information like like androids. Do they eat? Do androids eat? Do they eat? I don't like <laughs> yes. if I'm an android, do I have to be tracking food? I don't know. I don't think like, how are any of these androids you know, sometimes there's like a huge pile of hundreds of them living in the sewers. Right. Like, how are they surviving? Do they just, do they just like hang out forever? Like they're just permanently alive. They don't need water. Like right. I don't know their basic right. needs. So I have trouble crafting a narrative around how players are interacting here. Are these androids like, get us out. We can't survive here. Or are they just like, we're bored. Hang with us. But you know? even if you did come up with an answer, because it's science yeah. fiction, you then have to think of the repercussions. For example, my need, yeah. my default would be like, oh, well, obviously there's like food distributors all over the station because this is a like you know how else would a station like this ever run they probably can synthesize food okay so you can synthesize okay. food so can humans eat that you know then there's this this so then where's like, the amino synthesis chamber yeah. you know what i mean sure. like it would be sure. in here we need like the the seaweed farm you know like that's not in here and the other thing what was the farm Go there was like a Oh, I was just laughing because I remember I was like, oh, there's like a, a milk creation. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. a pseudo milk. Pseudo milk, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pseudo milk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, all of this stuff is super messed up. I do think the issue. Okay. So my core complaint around the Android situation is not yeah. what are Androids, because I could decide that. My core complaint is a lot of the uh, impacts of different rooms or situations or encounters specifically affect androids differently than people. Mm -hmm. But if a person is beginning to suspect that they are an android, does it affect them more or, or or less? Because if it doesn't affect them the way it would affect an android, and there are plenty of androids here that you could see get impacted by a trap or something, wouldn't they then be able to use that as a method to determine whether they are in fact not an android? Like, I feel like it works against the whole idea of the bends. There's so many mm-hmm. things that impact androids specifically. It'll say, like, um, uh, I'll have to find one, but, you know, uh, uh, Android, you know, uh, it'll be like disadvantage on for androids or whatever. It'll be something, there's a way you can see how androids are impacted differently or not impacted in some cases. And in my mind, that mm-hmm. undermines the whole bends concept. Or, the, you know, this idea that, oh, are you human? Are you not? Every time you get brain scanned, you know, you might think you're not human. What if the monarch brain scans you and then sends an infiltrator android out with your brain inside of you? Who's the real person? I know, just have them go to that trap that affected androids differently, and then we'll know who's an android. I, I feel like that was, I would just, I can see my players trying to figure that out on a, on a, on a player level. You know, maybe their okay. character will wonder, but the players won't wonder. Um, yeah. 
That is so interesting because I was looking through here trying to determine because part of me was wondering, like, is this a design conceit to get characters to put themselves in danger to test whether they're <laughs> an android? You know, like, yeah, but but then I'm looking at some examples. Well, I, I'm trying to pull up a few examples. And the only ones I see here are like, for example, 49B organ implantation, any android on the rack of rib cages is torn to shred by the arms. So like you can't really test if you're an android without dying. So, but yeah. there has to, there have to be better examples, but I was like, is it part of me was wondering if this was some meta element to get the characters to start putting themselves in danger to see whether they are <laughs> androids or not, yeah. but that can't be the case if not all of them are punitive, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, there are humans. There are like random encounters that have scientists and stuff you run into. Are they androids? How do you know? How do you know androids are androids? That's, I think the first floor, it does a great job of that in that. Mm-hmm. Everyone you're meeting, there is an air and an aura of ambiguity around every encounter here. Like, I don't know if this is a person or an Android and it's very overt in that very first floor. Like the, the ambiguity there, it really makes you wonder every time you meet someone like, wait, what's this guy doing in the cafeteria? And like some people have memories that they don't know if they can trust. Um, I like it slow feeds you if you, if you go in on that first floor, um, but yeah, totally. I think that's the whole point is <laughs> you're eventually getting your characters to start to try to destroy themselves to try to understand their truth. Right. And, and as a counter to what both Kelsey and I were giving examples for earlier, yeah. there's a decontamination room 33A where uh-huh. it says attempts to force entry, activate defensive measures, decontamination spray replaced with nerve agent, body save, 4010 damage per round for biologicals. Okay. So is that characters? who are not playing the Android class or is that characters who don't think they're Android? Like I just trying to understand how you met oh, that yeah. out. Like, right. Right. And- this is so weird. I might, I, this is, this just made me think of how I would rule this, which might not be right. You know, no, but like, let's hear it. I, I feel like because well, we, the, the module calls out Androids and then the infiltrator Androids, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. They're like the two separate kinds. And I wonder if anytime they mention an Android, they're referring to an overt Android, like somebody right. who's obviously an Android, because the module distinguishes between yeah, the two early right, on. Right, but a nerve agent then, doesn't care who's actually an Android. It it only it affects Android, well, you know, differently. So true, except that I feel like the infiltrator Androids were are made with organic components right. so, oh, such oh. that they appear human oh, in every so way. So are you saying the okay? So that changes things because to me there are varying levels of androids in this station, but most of the yeah. androids I thought looked human. Only the infiltrator ones. I think the, the ordinary androids right. look are very overtly androids. Like it's obvious to I, outsiders, not necessarily really? to them if they have. So the I think yeah. that's an assumption of this thing is that we understand that, but yes. I think that's something that I struggled with. I did not. I just that. kind of was like, Oh, because when it I says think, infiltrator yeah. androids are indistinguishable. So that means they must be made out of meat. Right. Cause if you cut someone, yeah. you have like the only way if they're dead, you can test but it with a machine. But conversely, it doesn't say that non infiltrator androids look any different. Right. But again, it, they're not defined anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I have to look because I remember seeing it. It did. It, where was it that it said like androids it look like this and infiltrator androids look like that? So I'm like, maybe every time they say android, they actually mean android. And when I, when they say infiltrator android, they yeah. specifically well, I, mean I assumed that, that the infiltrator just meant that they are androids who think they're human because they have memories and, you know, it, it, 
I, okay. So the, the yeah. three androids it talks about are infiltrator androids, which right. are indecipherable from humans, security androids, which look like crash test dummies, basically, and then forgotten androids, which are like scrapped together. Like, right. you know, but, they're okay. missing but parts like, and they're obviously yeah. androids, right? So the Fallen, okay, the Fallen, do, which, one right. of, the which fallen kind of androids. androids are those? Do they look human or not? Ooh, good question. Yeah. I, I would have to say they were ordinary because, because for I the think, logic of the place to, to make sense... I feel like you have to treat infiltrator androids, which I don't think characters can be from the state. It's not like a characters can't come in as an infiltrator android. I think you. Okay. They draw the child androids and it just looks like a child. Yeah. It's creepy, but so does every human. You know, I feel like it. Yeah. I feel like it's unclear. I'm not saying you're wrong and you would have to, you would have to do that. You would have to make it visually obvious. Yeah. And maybe that's my problem here is it's a little Mm -hmm. too loosey goosey for my. Yeah, which is saying. Yeah, I could have used more guidance on that because right. I would. You'd have to treat an infiltrator android in every way, appearing and acting as a human, down to their biology, Gosh. that for this to work, right? So, look, y'all, it's yeah. too early in the day for me to get this fired up about androids. Okay, I am. I'm getting fired up. About, <laughs> yeah, paranoid android. Yeah, yeah it's. Yeah. But you're right. In overall, we could have used a little more, a little more guidance about mm-hmm. how that was intended to come off. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the only other the only other place where I want a little more was the divers because almost every random mm-hmm. encounter we get other divers so other and that diver is just someone else who's exploring this place and I just wanted mm-hmm. to know a little bit more if it'd be cool if I had a table with like what are they doing here what are their intentions how did they get here you know because there's a lot of ambiguity here and I think that's hard to run at the table when I'm like oh there is a random diver and I have to that's a lot of like narrative to craft to figure out like who this is why they're here what they're doing and what they want. Um, mm-hmm. but it's easy to focus on the negatives and I think we're nitpicking on a, 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 a which we've all agreed is very very overwhelmingly good work how how did you yeah. feel about the various graffiti all over the terrific so I think it's a staple of horror it also sometimes is overused in my opinion not just in this module but like why would a bunch of scientists write you know uh, Ishmael sends their regards like i just don't i i often feel like i that it's too random for me and is only there for horror effect and i'd rather see like i don't know pictures of kids and stuff i I feel like there's um sometimes a little too much leaning into the horror without any justification i could be totally off that's you know doesn't it like i've always i go back and forth on that because i'm like i know the graffiti implies that there are unhinged sentient creatures out around Mm -hmm. which which is true but it's easy to like go too far in one direction with it or have it be such an obscure reference that it really is meaningless would a person really write it on a bathroom mirror i could see them being like you know printing out like 100 photocopies of a don't trust the minotaur you know and stapling it around i don't know it's it's tropey. I mean, mm-hmm. I think as far as like environmental storytelling goes, I would I would really happily accept um, overly specific graffiti mm-hmm. over like Bioshock style, yeah. like, d- you know, data logs or yeah. like I'm recording a diary mm. that I'm going to leave on a toilet. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's always always like oh, like that. I, yeah, I'm going to record a quick journal entry about my day right before i get killed right. but i'm gonna leave it on the kitchen table yeah. and then i'm gonna go die yeah. in the bedroom like There's, you know all right well right I, so i can live with it it's, i like yeah it. it's I'll a it's a nitpick i feel like that ends up happening you know once you run out of actually interesting things to say so i'll 
kind of scale it back a bit. Um, I think it's a really good module. I think it does deserve a little bit of criticism for the very things that we've talked about, especially around what are Androids. I really applaud it for owning up to that to some degree and saying, like, hey, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want child Androids, don't do child Androids, you know? It's, yeah. I don't know why people need to be freaky, told that. But they freaky. Yeah, of course they're freaky. That's the whole idea. They freaky. Uh, it's so that's such a horror trope. You like yeah. almost have to include the scary child, but then yeah. it's not right for everybody. You know. Yeah, yeah. Megan. I don't. You know, I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't see that, but I. I feel like it's so easy. It's so easy to go there. It doesn't interest me as much. Um, anyhow, good airplane yeah. watch. Gotta say what? Oh, it's, you watched it on the airplane. Megan? I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect oh, airplane yeah. watch. Oh, Nice. Alrighty. Alrighty. I think we're good. Um, any final thoughts from either of you? Um, I, I think everything that we've talked about is such a fair assessment. I love, I mean, this model is so cool. There's so much, it's so complex and rich that who knows if we'll ever, even in running it may never even need to answer some of these questions or find the answers to them. But I, I would love to run this sometime and see how it really plays out. Yeah. I can totally see doing a one shot. I can't see running this as a campaign. I think it would get a little too dour for me. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I ran it for a little bit and um, I could see why my players didn't want to engage with it. Um, but reading mm-hmm. it again, I want to play it again. And I think I would do it where, hey, make your characters totally normal. And then I'm going to wake them up in the space station. They don't know why they're here. That's brilliant. That's that awesome. Because that'll lean more into that's the bends. That's totally. Yeah, that's. It totally leans into the bends and they have immediate goals they don't know where they are they don't know why they're here they have to survive you know it gives them a lot more like immediate um motives and and methods of of navigation here i think that would really work here to give the module credit there is a kind of like you know space station that you can go back to Mm -hmm. and i think that 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 conceit is kind of cool where there's these there's kind of these ships you have to pay off to get past them yes Uh, but you know on the other side there's this space station where you can recover and talk to people who are there it works it works and i don't think we gave it enough attention it's a good conceit that said you need to have a good reason to go there and artifacts are weird but are they worth it you know (laughs) right i feel like they're not yeah no yeah Yeah, i mean they're powerful i guess they're probably worth money i think if you're a lot of them have a cost it's like a spider you stick in your chest like i don't want that you know (laughs) you know what would work better is if you each Uh if each person had a different private goal like my goal is to yeah. kill the monarch yeah. my goal is to find the minotaur my goal is to um you know blow up the space station under any circumstances including if it yeah. including killing everyone around me that's movie this would be a great setting for a uh, science fiction oh, film. Yeah. great yeah, setting kind of like yeah. like the cube yeah. plus <laughs> cube prometheus or something. <laughs> what what when's the last time i've heard someone talk about the movie cube? oh i'll talk about it <laughs> all right all right well um Thank you so much for coming on today, Kelsey. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you both for having me. This has been so fun. I We could probably keep talking for well, yeah, and, forever. And I also want to say this was also your idea to review. So thank you for suggesting it. It wasn't like we had it well, in the hopper. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for letting me put one out there because I, I really, I've never gotten to talk to anybody oh. about this module and to get to talk to you two about it is like Hooray. exciting because yeah. it's like people who like really want to dive in on it too. So yeah, it's well, so fun. Definitely, definitely. 
Definitely did that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this has been Between Two Karens. You can find us at Between Two Karens at gmail.com or go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Between Two Karens. Uh, you don't get anything except for a sticker and a drawing from Brad, but... Uh, you make it seem like nothing but what it should seem like. You're getting all of this and more. Well, but you, know? you get this anyways. The only thing you get besides I, this... I think your marketing uh, instinct is off here. It's, you know, um, you're not selling the sticker and the art. Because okay, These are exclusive, like, handcrafted, yeah. bespoke folk art. Maybe I just okay? don't think they're as great as you do. I don't know like, how many duck nipples Yeah, no shit. I'm here much. drawing drucks for yeah, hours a week, man. You're just, you know, Ed- you're reaping the benefits. Editing the podcast and publishing it but yeah so <laughs> i'm sorry i said i'm sorry i said that let's never fight again okay. okay okay well anyhow um yeah see you all next week that's right we love you we care about you and you know what a little note to our listeners seasons are changing but the sun is still shining don't forget that sunscreen y'all you know you may <laughs> not want to put it on your face but you know what you deserve healthy skin and i think sunscreen's a great way to do that on that sunscreen especially on your face little spf okay future you is gonna thank you okay that's my final thought anti-aging that's right okay that's right wear a hat too you know hats look good i think they're really coming back i think i'm seeing a lot of great hat styles out there and i'm excited about it okay you know i've been thinking about buying a bucket hat my wife doesn't want me to she thinks they're stupid i think i could pull it off and i think it would look good get it yeah. It needs a cord and a thing you can tighten the, it with against your chin. Bucket yeah. hat with a cord. Ooh, mm-hmm. I'm going shopping. I'm going. Yeah, I'm hitting the online shops after this. I'm going to get that bucket. Okay. And I hope you all do too at home. You deserve a little bucket hat. We love you. Goodbye. Okay. Bye.